Andrew and Erica Boyne are two incredibly inspirational people. You might think it's because they planned, designed and built their very own home. But in fact, it's so much more than that. They have managed to bring to life in their home a space that reflects the way they see the world. By creating and constructing with their values at the heart of it, they now reap the rewards living every single day in a way that is authentic to who they are. This chat was an incredible insight into a true team who are a powerful example of what you can achieve when you're aligned in life and go after your big dreams together. Hey, we're Kim and Rog, and we're here to show couples how to get the best out of their relationship so they can start living their dream life together. We're a West Aussie couple who are living the life of our dreams. We don't entertain the word should, we think about the future as a field of possibilities, and we let joy be our compass. We've taken the simple idea of working as a team and applied it to our marriage, and it's been a game changer, allowing us to work out what truly lights us up in life and to go after it together. From living in snowy Japan to starting our own house flipping business, we've achieved some big dreams. And most importantly, we feel fulfilled and are having the most fun we've ever had. Hear conversations from inspiring couples, thoughts from relationship experts, and tales from our own lives, as we help you to gain the wisdom and skills you'll need to turn your relationship into a real team. These are relationship conversations for real people, by real people. So sit back, get comfy, whatever tickles you pickle, and enjoy living the team life. I think we've always thought of you when it comes to couples who are teams. I think you guys have always been the two that came to mind. Um, you've always seemed very aligned with each other from day dot. And all our um, couple conversations, we love to uh, get to know the couples. And one of the ways we do that is asking how you guys first met. Uh, we met We met on the first day of well, when I was studying over, I wanted to go on exchange over to University of Oregon and... Um, we, I went with a friend and we booked a last minute into one of the dormitories and um, I don't know, we had, we had no idea what we were in for and we went into this dorm and we were given a room and I think we had an orientation day and you were the first sort of person I spoke, I spoke to there, I suppose. Yeah, from my perspective, it was, um, a, it was a dorm introductory meeting. So we were all, we didn't know our way around the campus. So they had everyone meeting in the bottom of the dorm and then walking over to the lecture hall where they were going to tell everyone what the rules of living oh, on yeah. campus were. I was with a girl who I had just met that first day as well. And I remember I was talking with her and she kind of interrupted me mid-sentence and said, shut up they're Australians over there. <laughs> and so of course the accent, Americans love the accent. So we had to go talk to them. And so um, my friend spoke with Dave, his friend, and, and I kind of was with Andrew and we walked over to the lecture hall and we're talking and I said all sorts of dumb things. Like I asked him if it snowed in Australia and would have sounded like an absolute idiot. Um, but yeah, that's how we met him. He was the first boy I ever talked to at uni. Oh, to be fair, it does snow in Australia, just not yeah. over this side. So, you know. I like it how you, you've both said you're the first person you met at uni and you're like, well, I guess that's it. Like, I think we're done. I know. <laughs> Case closed. I got, I got what I came for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so how did it progress from there? Um, pretty casually at first. I think it was we would just see each other at, you know, different frat parties or get-togethers and um i i think we i went upstairs yeah it's like he was downstairs i was one floor above so you, you would see each other in the dining hall and stuff and i guess we just continued talking and then i don't know 
one thing leads to another. I think, I think we went on a date. Where did you guys go from your first date? Because um, I don't know. I think maybe Australians have this idea of what uh, college and frat parties and keggers and all that uh, look like. Where did you go? Did you go to Wendy's for your first date or something? Or? Something like that. Yeah. It, was, it was something like Trattown Pizza. Trattown Pizza. Yeah, it was like um, a small restaurant just like on the edge of campus that had food that students could afford. It was nothing fancy. No, no, and I think, and it wasn't really like some. It was probably some dorm diner. No, it was outside. But our first date wasn't. You know, like when you're when you have somebody in the room below, you just hang out all the time. So we would have spent a lot of time by ourselves or talking. You know, with a group around. But I don't think our first date was for three months. But we would have hung out and talked a lot in the meantime. But so I actually remember our first date being really awkward because. It was the first time I was sat down with you across the table, forced to have a conversation, you know, and not have things be awkward. Uh, and I remember yeah. thinking, oh, this is weird. Did you did you feel like when you guys were uh, friends at the beginning, did you feel like it was just a friendship that you really enjoyed or did were you both thinking, oh, no, I'd like it for, for something else to happen? I don't remember. I had clear intentions that I wanted to. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, you, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. I had clear intentions that I wanted to hook up with him, but I wasn't. Oh. I wasn't like looking. I hadn't thought about. You know, I wasn't like you're going to be my boyfriend forever. I was thinking, oh, he's cute. Like, let's just keep pursuing that. So I, I was definitely. This is sounding a lot like (laughs) our our story, Erica. I was I knew what I wanted at uni when I saw Rog. Yeah, and (laughs) so much so I didn't want the other girls near him either. Yeah, and as soon as she hooked me in, it was like, all right, um, play hard to get. So (laughs) yeah, that's right. right. (laughs) I did my work. You work for the next twenty years. (laughs) Well, I do remember though. I was rushing a sorority, which I didn't join a sorority for a lot of reasons. But I remember they all were talking about the Australians that lived in my dorm. And they were talking about the three of them. And I remember one girl said, oh, yeah, but apparently one of them's really keen on one of the American girls upstairs. And so that I had thought, I assumed it was them, that you had been talking to them saying, oh, I might be interested. So (laughs) I took that as, because I thought maybe he might not be that interested. But when I heard that, I'm like, I am not rushing with sorority. And I'm going to go, go back to my dorm and find it (laughs) untrue. It's so sweet. It's it's funny. I think people look at young relationships that start when we're younger and sort of think that you don't have any idea. But actually when you're younger, there's something about being open to, uh, I guess, being more flexible when you meet someone rather than I think as you get older, you can become more particular around what what works for you and, and we do get are more inflexible as we as we get older. So I feel like listening to your story, and obviously it resonates a lot with ours, there's a lot of, you know, there's just an openness to trying, to having a date, to building the friendship. And like you said, Erica, it doesn't have to be forever. I'm just going to date this guy, hook up with him and, and see what happens. Believe me, I had no intention of <laughs> meeting my future husband on the first day of uni. That was not my plan. <laughs> Can you tell everybody what you guys were actually studying? Because it would be lovely to uh, sort of get a bit of background on each of you. I was studying architecture. And I was studying history and political science. Can you tell us what happened then? Like, Andrew, you were only in the States for a year, was it? Or I wasn't even that long. It was um, six months. Six months. Yeah. So what happens at the end of the six months? Heartbreak. 
Yeah, yeah. It was, and you sort of thought, well, that was unmanageable. But like a long distance relationship of that nature would be unmanageable. Mm-hmm. But we sort of made it work for I don't know how many years. Yeah, I, like I, we agreed to break up. I would have felt really bad for the people in the Memphis airport when we had to say goodbye because oh. it would have been a, an absolute shit show to watch, really. Um, <laughs> we were both really upset, but we, we didn't, yeah, two young kids really upset. They didn't quite know why. Um, but for me, like, it was I was never going to see him again, and I wasn't ready for it to end, but we couldn't really see how it was going to work, and he was going off traveling, and and we kind of just kept in touch, but, and then I was, I was really upset probably to the point of being depressed. And my mom actually tuned into that and said, look, I'm sick of seeing you this way. How about you've always said you wanted to study abroad in either the UK or Australia. What if I bought you a ticket to Australia? You check out the universities there and see if he wants to like, just see what his life is like there. And, you know, if you guys are still, I'm interested and, you know, let's just start from there. And so I did that. And it was kind of after that trip that we decided, okay, we're going to try and make this long distance thing work. And we did that for three more years. Like both of us finished our degrees. It's amazing. And this was before Facebook even? Was this only MySpace back then? This is... This is um, no. This was before that. We yeah, were calling yeah. each other on calling cards. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's nuts. Oh my god, I remember this. Yeah, the ones you yeah you buy, you'd scratch off yes. the, the the code on the back. Oh yeah. yes, yes. And you had like fifty numbers to put in. It was a very long yeah, process. Right. <laughs> it yeah. wasn't very long. Process. Yeah. And my, by the end of my, I would buy big cards. Like by the end, I would have old numbers memorized because I was, yeah. we were talking every night. Oh, that's that, so That's lovely. incredible. Um, three, three years is a really long time. How did you make three years when you look back now, especially obviously, you know, almost 20 years or plus 20 years on, how do you think you made that work at that time? I, I think it kind, of, it kind of did work. Like it, we sort of, and I think it made it, we talk about relationships, but I think it made our relationship better because we all sort of always were individual people mm-hmm. and we sort of had our own lives and then you'd sort of communicate at the end of the day or whenever. Um, and I feel like, I feel like it was, it, it, it sort of, it sort of just worked, right? Yeah, I guess you were watching people, my, I was watching my friends around me and, you know, you're discovering yourself a lot at that age and you would see some people having an inclination to want to develop in one way, but they were dating somebody who maybe wanted them to be different or, you know, wanted them to be the person they always Mm -hmm. were. And you could see that 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 has a a pretty significant weight on, you know, couples sometimes, or even people say, how do you do that long distance? I watched couples who were two hours apart struggle a lot more because if you could get into those fights about you're not making enough effort, you know, if they chose not to come down for the weekend. For us, it was always, we could live those lives. We could extend ourselves to be the people we wanted to be. And at the end of the day, we worked hard to see each other every six months. We would call each other every night and we did our best to come back. But I think we didn't have a lot of that expectation and that daily grind that can really go at couples um at that period in your life and so I think that that actually was helpful for us it's it's a really interesting perspective and you know something we talk about here is is setting expect clear expectations in your relationship and getting aligned really as a couple and 
funnily enough, by having that distance so young, you have actually gotten more clear about what you expect from each other uh, when you need to see each other, you know, we're going to make it every six months. And I think perhaps when you're that young in a relationship, sometimes you don't have the ability or the understanding yet that setting those clear parameters for the relationship of what's important to you, like, yes, we're going to talk each day at this time, you know, that's actually practice for life and setting up a really constructive and open relationship. So it's almost like it it fast forwarded that learning that I think most people get later on in their relationship when they start to realise that there's benefit to being very clear in what the expectations and the agreements in the relationship are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think also that there was a lot of like because you had the distance, the level of obligation was a lot lower. Like you didn't, you weren't as Eric was saying, you weren't obliged to go and see each other or spend so many hours with each other each day. You were sort of just living your life, mm-hmm. and you were sort of calling each other because you wanted to in the evening. Like it, mm-hmm. it was just kind of simple in that way. And I think in in later years, we've talked about we were choosing to be with each other and we were always very open saying the minute that someone's starting to get tempted or thinking this isn't working, we need to be honest about that because what we were doing was living our life and then choosing to come back to that person every night or every six months we were choosing to spend the money that we were saving to go across the world. And the minute someone didn't want to choose that, we needed to be honest about what we were doing. But I guess with that agreement, I never, I never got to that point where I wanted to choose anything else. Yeah, I wouldn't admit to it now. Yeah, I did see the stare, that, uh, <laughs> the daggers. <laughs> oh, I um, love it's, that. it's very mature. I think. Yeah, um, that's you know, the word I, I was thinking of. I think uh, I was very immature, at, probably at that same age, and Kim and I were together at that same time, and we lived out of each other's pockets in the first couple of years. That was really intense and was really amazing. But I think as we started to grow it became harder and we've constantly chosen to, to come back to each other over the 20 odd years. But I can see how maybe a bit of a slow burn, a deliberate approach to mm. I choose you every day. While it took a bit of pressure off it, but it made it more deliberate. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Like you were, both, you were both, you both sort of knew you were consenting to it all the time. You know, yes. There was yes. no sort of like obligation to it. Yeah. yeah. I think there was a period where, you know, there was a little bit of, um, I was still trying to take that approach when I probably shouldn't have. When I studied abroad, like I came to study in Perth for six months and, you know, like for him, I, I've come across the world. This is the chance to be together again. And I think I was set on not being the girl who was in the pocket of my boyfriend the whole time. I was going to have my experience, but I, I feel like I was, a, I almost distanced myself too much. I was still pursuing that too heavily. And you know, luckily we were mature enough that you were able to raise that with me and, you know, I could I could see that, you know, I had come halfway across the world. I, I should want to hang out with him a little more because I was trying to be like, no, I need my friends in the dorm and I don't want to be the girl who's always hanging out with her boyfriend. And at the same time, I was like, well, you did choose to come on halfway across the world for six months. What are you doing? It's such a beautiful example, again, I think, of, of being really clear about what your I mean again it comes back to you guys having clear conversations and you've obviously even at that point built enough trust that you feel like you can say those things to one another because 
often I think what we're seeing and, and hearing from people out there is they don't necessarily feel like they can tell their partner what's happening for them. And I think at that age to have that ability and that safety and that trust, which you built over the years of long distance, uh, is, is pretty incredible. And that's given you the permission to have these trickier conversations, you to hear it with an open open mind and Andrew to be able to give it freely without fear of, of it backfiring, which is pretty amazing. Mm. So, so, so you afraid it would backfire? <laughs> 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 um, so, so how did you make the decision to come live in Australia? Is that what happened next? Oh uh, no, I, I went, I went, I went and moved back to the US. I went and got a job in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon, and we lived there um, for two, three years. And then I lost my job in the financial crisis, or at the sort of tail end of it. And that's why I had to come back and Erica stayed there for another year or so. Yeah, I finished my master's degree. I was halfway through. So he lost his visa and couldn't stay. And so he left and we decided I would finish my master's. So we did another year of long distance. And then I moved over and, you know, we got married within the month that I moved. <laughs> Whoa, seriously. Yeah, so his mother was a saint. She helped. She was my wedding planner from a distance. So when... He moved back, you know, we, we got engaged. We knew that we were going to get married. And so I was finishing my master's degree and then we planned the wedding long distance and then flew over and all my family followed me and we got married like less than a month after me arriving here. I think it was a condition of the visa. Yeah, it, to be honest, oh. it sounds so unromantic, but um, we knew we wanted to be together and it was the easier path for a visa was a, a fiancé visa. And so we we chose that path, but it's not like... We're engaged before we make we, yeah, yeah, but then you start looking at visas and it's, it's amazing how immigration can yes. make relationships sound very unromantic. I have two sisters-in-law from overseas and I've been through the process with both of them. So, it, yeah, it, it, I think... It might sound unromantic to others, but actually I think it just forces conversations that are going to happen one way or another anyway. And Mm -hmm. I certainly saw in our family, you know, no one got married because they had to. They got married because they wanted to. And sometimes it just happens on a different timeline because they needed to. So, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember remember going to an immigration agent when I, before we, when I lost my job, when we ran out of work, and I was losing my visa and Erica's mother organized for me to see an immigration agent. And he was an absolute waste of time. <laughs> and he showed me pictures of his trip to Australia and stuff like that and charged $400. <laughs> but the, the only thing he said to me that was of any use was he said, don't get married for the visa. Uh, and so we, so we, that was, that was $400 worth of advice. It was actually probably pretty good value. Yeah, because when he was losing his visa and having to leave, they said, just get married. Like, he'll get the green card and stay. And the one thing we knew is we didn't want to get married just for the visa. Yeah. But as you said, yeah. that probably brought up conversations later that meant, it's like, well, what are we waiting for? We're actually ready for that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm going to skip forward. Thank you so much for walking us through that. I, I I knew details of that, but not the full story. And I just, I especially your long distance, which I found absolutely amazing, and I think is such a rarity to be able to to be able to manage that, and is probably you know a good indicator for why you guys have been so successful for so long in your relationship. I'm going to jump forward because we do really want to talk today about 
a big dream that you guys have have fulfilled in the last few years and that was building your very own home. So how did the dream to build your own home begin? Well, it probably it probably didn't begin as a as a dream really. Mm-hmm. And it, like it we we were quite happy living in our little rental and I don't really I've got a funny thing where I don't really like owning anything. So it was always a uh the idea about owning a house is not never been particularly attractive, but we, I've once had this boss who said that the prerogative of an architect was to build on a difficult site. And there are so few in Western Australia because they're all sandy and flat that we, when one day we sort of just, we would just went for a walk along the river um, and we drove and we parked in front of this sign and um, it was a for sale sign and we went and walked down it just, just because we were interested and it was a, it was an unusual difficult site. So like from that point, we started to think it was a good idea. Mm. Um, it was just an opportunity, I suppose. Yeah. And I guess like we had always, um, we had structured our life and had decided that, um, we would live in a way that we would save as much money as possible. And for a period we put down what we like termed anchors, things that would like, keep you tied to a place or something we avoided avoided the anchors so you know we didn't get a pet um we didn't buy a house those things um because we were just waiting for we wanted to have flexibility for when an opportunity came up but we didn't really necessarily know what that opportunity was going to be we never dreamed it was going to be building our own house was it it was just we wanted to have the ability if an opportunity that was great came up that we could take it and i guess it ended up being this house. It was, it's also um, worth noting that we were at that time we were also thinking about moving back to Oregon, and we were booked. A, we had booked flights to even go and make that decision whether we would do that or not. Mm-hmm. So, and then we found the like two weeks before we left, we found the site. Mm-hmm. So it sort of became part of the um, conversation. What you talked about there, though, with the flexibility and saying that you know, that was something that you really were focused on and it is really a value that you've put you've put out clearly, right? You didn't have those anchors, you said, so that you could be flexible. What it's enabled you to do, though, is pivot in whatever direction you wanted to go and it's such a lovely thing to think like when we get really clear, you know, one of the things we talk about all the time is how important values are and rather than thinking about action, so my action was I wanted to go and live in Oregon or I wanted to buy a block, my value was flexibility. You didn't know how that would evolve and what it gave you was just an incredible opportunity to pick up whatever mattered to you or whatever you liked in that space and and pursue the dream. You didn't even know what the dream would look like at that point, but you started with what your value was, which was clearly the flexibility to pursue a big dream or a big opportunity when it arose. I think there's also something that came out of the financial crisis for us from that, which was that when we're in Oregon, like I don't think people in West Australia understood what it was like to be there and see all your friends unemployed. Their families your, losing their homes after 30 years. Having your um, student college fund wiped out. Like all those things made you think like you couldn't, you, could, you shouldn't overcommit to anything. Like you should only do it when it sort of made sense. Yeah, and my family would kind of give us, you know, a little bit of, you know, and in their cards, they would write things like put it to whatever it is you're saving for. Like my family found it quite 
odd that we didn't have something very specific that we were we were striving towards. Um, I think we confused them a little bit with that, didn't we? <laughs> but you did. You, you knew you wanted the flexibility to pursue it. You just didn't know what it was going to be. And I absolutely mm, love that. Yeah. So you saw the block and it met the the mandate which was that the block the block needed to be difficult because that's the prerogative of an architect is to conquer the difficult block yeah. how did you guys agree that okay we want to undertake a monster project of actually designing and then building a house together ourselves because you guys did a lot of the work right um i i think it's like it <laughs> I don't know. I think you, I think, well, it was going to be designed by me. Yeah, that was obvious. Or us. Me. You. <laughs> uh, I'll put a side note. I always knew he didn't necessarily want to build his own house. And I had always make, given him a hard time when I would go through his buildings that he built for other people. And they were amazing. You know, I would always say, when do I get one of these? And I knew that that wasn't necessarily um, something that he wanted. And so when we decided we did want to undertake this, um, while it is my house, I understood that this was probably one of the only opportunities he would have to design a house and build a house um, without, you know, the client really um, changing the, the shape of it. And that's what an architect does. But, you know, sometimes there's a pure vision and I am the client and I have shaped it in some ways, but I was trying as hard as I could to let him have as much freedom, um, creative freedom as possible. So I kind of gave him a few non-negotiables um, and we talked about what we wanted our house to be for, for years. So it wasn't a surprise. I think there was only one thing I had to come in later with that I didn't expect and say, actually that that's a non-negotiable as well. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted him to be the designer and to interject as little as possible if I could. The design you've put through is actually a bit counterculture. So it's a two-bedroom, one-bathroom, as you said, on a on a different block. It might it, it might have affected resale value of what a typical uh, West Australian house would go for with en-suites and this and that and the other. So how did you stick to, this is what I believe in, this is the design I want, where you're building a house for you, not for, oh, this is this is what society says yes. I should build, this is what a real estate agent says will get me more money on the on the back end. I suppose, first of all, it probably was never a financial decision, like it was a sort of life objective decision. Mm -hmm. So that so that may mean that the weight of the finances was less. Yeah. But we'd also always thought, well, at least, I mean, We've been together for a very long time, anything I've thought we've discussed. Yeah. But um, we always sort of thought that it was difficult to, oh, it was difficult to build a house for somebody you'd never met. And so all that we figured we would do was, was meet our requirements and the things that we would like, and then hopefully there'd be somebody out there that would buy it, mm. is how we sort of saw it. So we sort of figured that, well, if we like it, there may be someone else. So maybe it's not so bad. Yeah, so we weren't expecting if we wanted to ever sell it that you're going to have people lining up to buy the house. We knew that it was going to have to be a very specific buyer and that we might have to wait a while. But we figured that while it is possibly counterculture, there are other people who believe in things that we believe in as well and would buy it. We would just have to probably be a bit more patient than others would. You're right about the the sort of pressure was that 
I think we had a lot of people, and you particularly. Had a, see, people don't raise these things with me because this is my job and possibly a little harder to do. But Erica was the, the brunt of a lot of criticism or critical questioning about, yeah. you know, why aren't you doing this, why aren't you doing that? Um, so that it was possibly harder for you than it was for me. Yeah. It was it was interesting how um, you would explain what we were trying to do. And, and we, we approached this as an experiment. You know, we thought that this is possibly what would make a good house even better. You know, we wanted to try new things that weren't normally done and to test them out. And I think that challenged a lot of people. But also anytime we tried to do something that wasn't normal, I think people were taking it almost as um. As a, criticism. as a criticism of themselves, a, a criticism of their house. And they responded that way, not to Andrew as much, but to me. And so I actually got a lot of quite aggressive comments that I was then having to defend. And while I believed it and I had 100% faith in him, it, it, it did leave me feeling uncomfortable because I was just surprised that, you know, they don't have to live in my house. Why do they have such strong feelings about something that they're never going to have to deal with. Yeah, I think you raise such a valid point and something that, again, like we really love to talk about is is getting clear as a team on what you want out of life and not what society wants. And, mm. and one of the things I think you're just 100% right on is why is society pushing us to do certain things? And I think a lot of it actually comes from insecurity because people feel like if you don't do it the way they did it, then what they've done might not be right. Yeah, you're chall- you're challenging them. Yes. On who they, what they really believe, and who they really are, and that's really uncomfortable for people who haven't actually challenged themselves yes. at any stage. We get it quite a bit when we tell people that we're doing a podcast on people becoming a team in their relationship, <laughs> and they're like, "Who who are you to to broadcast?" what you're thinking, you're feeling in. The, well, what about the individual? That's the most common societal mis- yeah. misconception because they're so afraid in their own world of giving up their independence, as they call it, and they haven't sat down and gone deeper on what the relationship actually needs. And so by us saying, well, you want to be a team, it just plants this seed of fear that, like, well, what, I'm not allowed my independence? Are you saying that's wrong? Am I wrong about the way I live my life? And you get this, like you say, quite aggressive response. They're defending Mm. their own, um, I would say, their own lack of understanding around what they really value because they haven't had those deeper, clearer conversations. Just Mm. on that, you said that you guys had some very clear beliefs that you thought uh, a future buyer would would be in sync with and that's where you think you'll get your future buyer not necessarily tons of people but you will find someone who thinks like you can you talk us through what some of your beliefs are because i think it's fascinating to hear how clear you guys were on who you are as a team and what you believe in Uh, we definitely wanted small Um, we wanted to only build what we needed and to um, build something flexible because we understand needs change and so the way that this house has been designed is that it's small, but it can change shape and look to accommodate changing requirements, which we've proven with the addition of Jack. I think like the, one of the major drivers behind the house is that that comes from, it sort of comes from that original decision on whether we would move to Oregon or move to West Australia or stay in West Australia. And we'd found it up until that point, we'd sort of all, because we had never really known where we were going we sort of never committed to either and we were sort of like lightly engaged with the community or place. Mm. 
And so we thought, well, if we're going to make this about our move or our decision to stay in Western Australia, it has to be about absolute commitment to the place. Mm -hmm. So we, we have sort of built the house in a way that sort of is intended to connect us with that place. So it's about, it's not only about, um, you know, plants and things that are West Australian, but also trying to explore what a West Australian lifestyle is. So is it more about being outside and what are the lovely things about being West Australian? So it's about, you know, there's, there's a, like one of the things I think is kind of fun is that I made sure that the grass was long enough to play, to kick, to kick for, for kick to kick football, which I think is about 14 metres. So we, we had to make sure that that was the case. Um, and there's, there's lots of other things about trying to tie like our story, our stories and our holidays and stuff by like collecting seeds from different places and growing plants. Um, we built this bookshelf to showcase all of the knickknacks that we collect. We get a knickknack per place and we wanted that to be on show. So like you had little small things like that dictating that, I, that concept. Um, and also um, people are quite critical of us for not building fences to oh, fence in right. our property. It was really important that if we're going to embed ourselves in this community, we wanted to be as part of the community as possible. So, you know, building fences keeps people out, but mm. it, I guess it keeps bad people out, but it also keeps your neighbors out. And we've, we tried to foster ties with our, our neighborhood as much as we could in the design. I absolutely love the way you talk about connection to place because I don't know that people think that overtly about how connected they are to the place they live in. And it's something that I think for us moving to Nisiko, we were very clear about where we were living and we lived on oh, – I, I knew I wanted to live on a snow forest. I, I knew what I wanted to embrace being part of a, of a snow village and be, be living the life that you would – that would maximise my connection to our connection and our daughter's connection to the snow and the lifestyle there. And and that's really affected when we came home and we thought about what house we would want and our connection to place here. Outdoor living is such a huge part and advantage of West Australian lifestyle and, and innate in who we are. You know, you drive down to the beaches, there's people walking along in the sunshine, six in the morning. It's, it's a joyful part of what and who West Australians are. But I don't know that many people are, are as clear when they buy a house that there's an opportunity to really connect with that deeper side of the place we live in. I don't know if people even think about it like that. Yeah, and what we will do is we'll, on our socials we'll put up some of the amazing oh, um, so v- videos that you've done, Andrew. Oh, um, yeah, okay. Especially yeah. the ones where the, uh, when it's raining. It's like you're in the country uh, or country Australia with the gum trees and the water falling off the corrugated iron, and it's it's magical. Well, that, oh, thank you. well that, those are those are things that we were trying to capture. I think there was another architectural reason for that is that if you were to build a, let's say you were to build a house and you wanted to, I don't know, make it feel like a Balinese villa. Um, it's a lot of investment to make a Balinese villa and you have to like, you have to go and grow the right plants and you have to build the right surrounds and the build the big concrete landscape to fence it all in. So you don't see your neighbors and stuff like that. So to create a comprehensive environment, it's a fair investment. Yet if we actually broke down all those things and just sat amongst the environment, we kind of almost get it for free. So we get this far more complexity for nothing. 
So that was the sort of driver behind that. That goes to the, the what Erica said as well at the beginning was, um, you know, that you you didn't need you didn't want a big house. You didn't need to take more than you needed, isn't it? Like all of what you're saying is actually about being uh, careful with resources. We don't need to put more money into, like you say, creating the space. It's already there if you want to lean into it and use what's available. And I think when we think of, of scarcity of resources you can think about it in every aspect of your life. How do we have reciprocal assets, things that both people can use or, you know, rather than being, because I think one of the things that's so sad in in Western world especially is how siloed we've become. You require, every little unit requires its own set of resources as opposed to when you're more community focused, not every single family requires their own set of resources. You can share the, the natural resources, you can share the community resources and I think, that, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a lovely way of approaching things. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. And I always just sort of think it's, it's, it's just per value. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you get, you get all that complex because I think life is better at being complex and so you get far more complexity from your neighbour doing something stupid in the backyard than you do like with a concrete wall and a Balinese villa and of French penny trees, you know, like the complexity, sometimes it's inconvenient, but the complexity is richness. And I think that was sort of, that was a sort of driver. Mm. So there is one thing though, you did design an outdoor toilet. Can you just... Now that's a complex issue. Can, can you take <laughs> us through the conversations through the design to the build and now the actual operation of the outdoor toilet? We, we said it was... The, Roger and I were talking about this before. Harry was saying there's the design element and then there's the relationship element <laughs> yeah. to the outdoor toilet. Can you take us through <laughs> both? There's, like, there's lots of drivers behind it, but interestingly, it's one of the... the in, uh, in, I found through residential architecture that most people want more or less similar things, right? Like they, they tend to like the same sort of kitchens and the same designs and the same bedrooms and things. But toilets are the one thing that really differs between, <laughs> between people. Yeah. It's, it's, one of the, it's one of the strange, strange bits. But I think that that's one of the, the things that we had most in common is you and I hate toilets. We hate <laughs> them near us. We hate hearing what's going on. We hate smelling what's going on. Like we have a equal passion to not know <laughs> what's going on in toilets. And so I, it was a pretty easy answer for us to put our toilet outside. But it also, <laughs> it also came from when Erica was doing some uh, research. I was at Subiaco Museum as the curator and I was researching Daglish, which was a garden suburb. And I was looking at all of the old um, newspaper articles and I found a letter to the editor, which was um, expressing uh, like absolute outrage that, you know, it, before toilets were all outside and Daglish was kind of trying a new way of living and they were starting to bring their toilets inside the house. And, and it was this letter to the editor saying, why on earth would you bring a toilet inside your house and <laughs> and I said to Andrew, I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> I finally found someone vocalizing how we felt about toilets. And, <laughs> yeah. So like, um, this is the thing that, you know, some people will walk through our house and there are a lot of things that are not normal and, you know, they might walk out and the only thing they're talking about is that, that outside toilet. It really, um, it's just, it's the one that pays me. I think yeah. like the other end, but in terms of livability, like it, what it does is it, it so we, we made this house that's meant to be 
engaging with its environment and it's the one time when you sort of can create a transition between the outdoors that is short enough to just be a transition. Mm. So it creates four seconds of movement through the outdoors into the toilet and it, on a, on a reason, <laughs> reasonably regular interval. So it's a, it's a sort of forced, forced um, engagement. Yeah. I love that. I have never thought about that because I have thought about your toilet a lot. So there you go. (laughs) And we have an outdoor dunny. You know, our house is 100 years old. You guys know that. We have a a very disgusting outdoor dunny that I send Roger out to. And it just does not appeal to me. I mean, granted, yours is a lovely outdoor dunny. Ours is is full of spiders and all sorts of gross stuff. But I have thought about it a lot. I never thought about the fact that it's an invitation to go outside. And, and yeah, have okay. I always thought about the discomfort and that's probably part of the conditioning again. We are always thinking about trying to be as, as least affected these days as possible, as least effort to go into something. We want comfort, we want ease of use as quickly as possible. But when we go for all the quick fixes, the quick wins, the, the laziest options, the most comfortable options, sometimes we miss the most beautiful options. Yeah, I and, think that might be right. And it's interesting, even living in our house, which is almost all windows, and you'd say I'm I'm constantly around, surrounded by nature. I remember I was working from home one time, and I was just so involved in my work that I, I wasn't engaging with anything around me, and I needed to use the toilet. And I walked outside, and for that 30 seconds that you are not involved in something, our toilet has a full-size window, so you're looking out and I was just watching this big poplar tree just wave. And I thought, oh, I didn't realize it was so windy. And then I started looking around, realizing how have I coexisted in this space of windows everywhere? And I haven't noticed a single thing about what's going on around me. And, and that toilet then made me come back uh-huh. into the house and go, okay, come out of your work a little bit and appreciate what's going on around you. And, and the way I felt about my work for the rest of the afternoon was very different. Mm. and so it that our toilet um offers you that that option and you know i didn't i didn't even really think about that too much until we actually had the outdoor toilet this has ended up being far more complex than i had given it credit for so you've definitely hit on the complexity (laughs) some of my greatest achievements have happened on the toilet so edit that out that's disgusting (laughs) (laughs) yeah well I, i guess like it yeah there's a lot, like a lot of, because we have spent a lot of time talking about it, and like there are a lot of decisions that go into everything, I suppose. Well, yeah, now, and, I, and I do want to do a disclaimer for your listeners. It's not like we're we're trucking outside for 30 metres to get to our toilet. It's, it's yeah, covered. A metre and a it's half. It's a metre and it's covered. So everyone says, how do you go out in the middle of the night? Um, to be honest, sometimes it's more sheltered in the back there than it was in our old rental unit in Shenzhen Park, which was freezing cold and more unpleasant because you're walking on all these cold tiles and stuck in this old concrete thing. Like, I'm, it's a better option than that. And that was all inside. So, <laughs> it sounds like, it sounds like from what you're saying, because you designed a house that reflected your values very clearly and as you've said repeatedly both of you that you talked about it and talked about it and talked about it which is you know 
obviously one of the key tenets of your relationship and one of the things that makes you guys so strong is having these deeper conversations. But because you've gone deliberately about designing a house that reflected your values, you actually get to live your values naturally every day now. Yes. Yeah. I think that that's the sort of surprising thing. Well, it's, it's, you know, like, you, I, I don't know, because it's my job to draw stuff and you have all these ideas, but actually you never experience them because they're other people's houses. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think that, yeah, it's a nice thing to try and run with it, I suppose, or live it. One thing I've noticed from this is that I think some of the design decisions, especially that Andrew made, they were deliberate, but he's still surprised by some of them. Um, and not like he had no idea what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. But so, for example, not having walls that went up to a ceiling, I was very, very concerned about that. And he always said, but it'll just force us to have conversations about how we're choosing to live in the space. And, you know, that's okay. And there can be great outcomes from that. He wasn't specific about it, though. But now we spend so much more time together, so much less time watching TV we sit down at the dinner table, like because our the, the the center space is shared, we communicate about what we want to do that night. And all of a sudden, you know, it's up for ne- it's not up for negotiation. It's like, oh, you want to read? Actually, that sounds like a good idea. Can I read with you? And that was not something I anticipated. I was just worried about, oh, what happens when I want to read and he wants to watch TV and we're just going to be all over each other. But he did it very deliberately. But even the the small outcomes sometimes are surprising as to how they come to fruition. I don't know if I've made yeah, that and clear. But, but then you may also say that if we had walled up the whole thing, we may be sitting here saying, well, it's excellent. We get to live our lives and you know, we get to do different things. So it's just, you know, I think there's been a lot of successes and we're really happy with them, but it's not particular genius or anything. Mm. It's just, it just, it's sort of worked itself out, I guess. Mm. Can I ask something else just switching for a second because we know that you guys did a lot of the physical labor on your house yourselves and this is just such an amazing feat watching someone literally physically build their own home how did that impact your relationship and your day-to-day life and I presume those two are intertwined well it was a lot but it it was just you know like it was both Eric and I driving there on Saturday morning at eight o'clock or something and getting home at 10. And, and we were, we thought about this um, last night and we were saying, Oh, you know, we ate a lot more McDonald's than we'd ever done. Cause it was too, Everywhere it was too was late. Closed. Everything was closed on the way home. Yeah. Um, I think responsibilities in the household shifted. Um, I, was true. I yeah. was not, I'm not, a, I don't know the building industry. I had never picked up a power tool before this project. So there were a lot of things where the weight was falling on him. Um, he had the knowledge for the project management. He could talk to, I tried doing the quotes to take some pressure off of him, but the tradies would come back with very specific technical questions I couldn't answer. I couldn't take the burden off of him in that way, which meant I had to probably pick up a lot of the normal life duties. Um, and that challenged me a lot internally because I would like to think of myself as a feminist and I really wanted to resist that I've become like the domestic goddess, but I really had to keep myself in check and realize this isn't me becoming the domestic goddess because I'm a woman. It's because we needed to allocate skills in certain directions and I could do, I had certain skills and he had certain skills. So we just had to do that. And that's not the way our life is now. Like I'm, I'm not stuck in the domestic sphere 
it was that moment in time required us to do that situation. How do you, or how did Andrew address this to you? Because this is a really important point that I think women um, experience at different in different seasons, especially with young children. How did you support Erica so that she didn't feel like, oh, I've just left alone in the home to always do all the house chores and I'm feeling quite resentful about that? I doubt I did it adequately. I don't know. <laughs> Erica, do you know? I think that Andrew is very good at when I was expressing some discomfort with the situation, reminding me why it was. I, I think I too was too inclined to be like, why am I stuck doing the housework? It's because I'm a woman. He said, no, like I'll come and cook if you want to do this. And it would have been something that I had no skill doing. I would have been very intimidated. And he said, that, well, no, it, it says like, <laughs> this is, this is what needs to be done because we've both agreed. This is our dream. This is what needs to be done. I'm happy to switch at any point. And I didn't want to go pick up the drill and do something and waste money. And but this, this sounds like you weren't on the site a lot. Yeah, like no. you were there every day as well. Yeah. So I was on site and he was very good at teaching me how to do things so that I felt very invested in it. It was just, you know, like at the end of the day when we're both like, or he would stay on site a little longer, I would go back and try and do washing because you have to have clothes to go to work that week. You know, like it's little things like that, um, you know, where you, you sense you're, you're taking up more of the domestic duties than you normally do. And I think it was the transition to change. But once we got into it and we both understood what we were doing and how we were going to do it, it operated really smoothly. It was probably just the transition into that situation. Hmm. We experienced something fairly similar in some ways when Kim gave up her career in counselling for us to decide to go to Melbourne for a career change. And even when we moved to Naseko in the snow, while Kim started her own business, she was still Lola's main caregiver while I was working very long hours in a, a high stress job now we run our business together and i have to pick up a lot of the household work that a lot of other men probably wouldn't do now in all honesty i probably don't do 50 percent yet but i do 90 percent of the cooking so i will cook breakfast and i'll cook dinner every day pretty much without fail but then i'll still probably ask him to clean the bathroom was that just so you could tell everybody how much you helped with the cooking? It was all about the change of <laughs> dynamics that can happen within a relationship and that how we can support our women. I think there was a lovely – yeah, that's great. I'm going to frame it again from, from a slightly different angle because it really is – it's such a great point. When you had the, the potential frustration, which I think everybody has at different points, you know, you guys have come back to what's our purpose here. And I just think, mm. you know, you guys speak so beautifully as a couple about – being so clear on these things you know and and Andrew saying you know if you want to change up the way we're running this and getting to that purpose that's fine I'm open to that and you've gone okay well no that's I mean this is really not an option not my preference so let's stay in the I'm actually not comfortable with that yeah. <laughs> but because you're both so clear on your purpose you can come back to that and draw because it's not saying it's going to make it any more fun to do the household chores on your own sometimes we have seasons and Roger and I talk about this as well sometimes we have seasons where you know you're going to have to do more of something you don't want to do and that's what a team is. Sometimes one gets to do more in one area that they prefer and sometimes the other does. Sometimes you both have to do crap you don't want to do. It just depends on the time of life. And it's mm. remaining connected to one another and clear on your purpose in that time that's going to make that not 
easy, but a little bit easier. So uh, the question is, would you do it all again? I, um, I loved it. And I think it was great fun, but I, with a child, I can't see any capacity to, to do it. <laughs> so yeah, I'd re- like at the moment I'm thinking, I was looking at my tools in there and thinking oh, I could probably sell them because <laughs> I can't see myself using them in the next Don't five do it, Andrew. That being said, he does want to build a, like a little replica of this house as like Jack's little play area, you know, like so. Yeah, yeah, there'll be stuff. There, there will yeah. be building, but not an entire house again, I don't think. Yeah, I would love to do it again. I think my, um, I really enjoyed it. I think we enjoyed it. Yeah. I think um, it, it was great because my parents helped and my friends helped and wonderful time to spend with all of them. And I can't see it happening in short term. Yeah, and like getting to spend that time with your friends, like, um, you know, some of the days were really hard and you didn't want to get up and do the manual labor. It was hard on your body. Um, you had preferred it. We didn't see our friends for two years practically, really, unless they were on the work site. And like there are a lot of hard things, but now every day in our house, you know, like, I get to look at that bookshelf that Andrew and I made entirely by ourselves on the back of our ute. And like, I get to feel a lot of pride about us and what I was able to learn having never picked up a power tool. And then you get to see that little bit that our friend did. And, you know, some of our friends who helped have moved away to the UK and it's lovely to have a daily reminder of them and, um, his parents, you know, get to come into this house and pretty much feel like it's theirs. And there's some there, you can't, you can't buy that. So it was definitely worth it. And this is a, this is my, my uh, something I really like about it is that because I have an aversion to owning things, it's a, it's not a, it's not a big deal, but I think it came from that, um, our long distance relationship and we didn't really like owning stuff because it, really made the movement between the two places very difficult. So we spent a lot of time not acquiring anything and I don't like owning stuff. So that I'd always thought the house, if it was shared amongst everyone, like every, if other people could take ownership, I'd feel more comfortable with it. That's sort of the way that I looked at it. It's really interesting that today's conversation when Kim and I really wanted to talk to you, it was about the dream. But what I think I've understood from today, what is so powerful between the two of you is your values. And I always have seen values as like the the, the rails of life. And if you've got those rails in place because you understand what your values are, it doesn't really matter where you pivot, where you go. You know you're going to be going in the, towards the right direction. So whether, it, whether you know, sliding door moments happened and you ended up moving to Oregon because you didn't park outside the, the block that you currently live in now, I still think you would have been really happy. I still think you would have been working on something you're passionate about. You'd still have a lovely little son. You'd, you'd have all these things because you would have had those barriers, those values in place. Like, yeah, you're right. Like if, if, if we ended up in Oregon, which we were very close to doing, I think there'd be other great outcomes. Hmm. Yeah. Maybe so- you wouldn't have as good a job as you do, but uh, <laughs> yeah. <Why not>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With that in mind, and we know that you guys have got your beautiful baby boy who's been your your big dream and, as you said, takes up a huge amount of capacity, is there any other sort of big dream on your plate at the moment or are you guys pretty good for now, pretty set in enjoying the fruits of your labour? Um, I don't like it, it, I suppose if we were to say that, you know, the house was more or less just a 
as you said, a sliding door moment. I think that we're possibly open for the, for the next one. Yeah. But you know, I don't know. There's there's things I'd like. I'd, like to, I'd maybe like to do a bit more education. Um, and so I a few would, things like that. Yeah, and I would as well. So um, I think we have things that we know we probably want to do. Um, but again. I mean, we certainly have more anchors in our life now, but we're still trying to keep that flexibility to, to pivot and go where we want to go. It's just we have a slightly different situation than we did before where we could do anything. Now, um, we still can do anything. It just means that we would have to consider, you know, the house that we own and the sun that we have, and, and that's, that's okay. Yeah, I think, like, anchoring now is, like, a little bit, as a little bit older, having a few few anchors is not so bad. No. So, yeah. I love that we also share that exact same uh, core value, which is flexibility. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're a little bit different. Obviously, we have a, a daughter with additional needs, so we have a pretty firm anchor in the supports that she needs. Um, mm-hmm. But you find the flexibility in other ways, the way we've built our business so that we can be more flexible with the responsibilities in the home and also with our days. You know, if we want to go for a run at 11 in the morning, we can because we've we've scheduled things around that. Can we go on holiday at the moment with her needs? No, we can't. But you can find flexibility. You can fulfil that that mandate in different ways. So um, I love that, that, that that's your core value as well. You're amazing. You've just spent quality time on your relationship. Feel like you're on a roll? If you want more Living the Team Life relationship insights and conversations, head over to kimandrodge.com where you can find all the show notes as well as tons of other relationship goodies. And if you like today's episode, please hit subscribe or let another couple know where they can find us. It'll make them happy and it'll make us really happy. Until next time, keep on living the team life.